Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me today is my special guest, Ofer Juvexel, who runs a global company with offices in New York, Israel and Melbourne. And today he'll be coming to us from Israel. As a special gift to all our listeners, pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com that's excellencepodcast.com and download your free 48-page ebook called Building Excellence Ideas to Help You on Your Journey to Creating Excellence in Your Business and Your Life. Welcome, Offer. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. So, Offer, what, what intrigued me about your company called Peppery is you work in the B2B space and you are totally focused on software as a service. Now, it, it's watching the media for me over the last you know, couple of years, you've suddenly seen this SAAS coming up in media all the time. How long have you been running the business now? And, and, and what was your kind of vision? You know, what made you go, yep, this is the path we need to go? I think once, uh, first of all, to answer your first question, so I'm running this business for 11 years now. And uh, I think from the get-go, uh, once we, before, I was working before that for other uh, IT companies, and actually the company I worked for before did not run a SaaS business. Uh, but I was very jealous to see that uh, other companies do have a SaaS business already back then, because it was obvious that it's the way to go for the future. So uh, there was no question at all when we started Peppery that it must be SaaS. Uh, there was no doubt in our mind that this is the way to go. So, I mean, for, for listeners who are sitting there and going, you know, they're in medium enterprise and they're going, so what is SaaS? I mean, you know, in a nutshell, you know, I, under I understand it as, as, as effectively running your software as a, as a running cost, not as a capital cost. But, but what is it, you know, how do you explain it to your customers and the benefit of SaaS? So there is different way that you can talk about it. You mentioned the financial way, and this is very important for some people. You know how you how you run the cost uh, because of tax implications and uh, depreciation. But this is just one aspect. And then there is the technical aspect. Technically, when we talk about SaaS, we are talking about a solution that is uh, running from uh, outside of your of the company, outside of the company. And uh, so there's no server, there's no, the logic and everything is not running within your facility as a customer. Uh, but the company that is selling you the software or the service is not selling you the software, selling you the service is running the software for you from their facility or from third party facility. So you're giving up on, uh, technically you are no longer responsible for the software to run uh, because it's no longer part of your facility. Uh, and this is on the technical side. I think there is many other implications to that. Uh, 
uh, and this is the implication that really you are no longer, and this is not on the technical side, because it's not in your facility, then you are no longer responsible for the security of it. You are no longer responsible for the scalability of it. You are no longer responsible to upgrade when the, the operating system is changing, when the browser security code is changing. It's all now part of the responsibility uh, of the vendor who sold you the SaaS solution. So it is changing everything conceptually that you're just getting a service. It's not yours. Uh, I think it's much better for the customer in that respect. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, in, and I run a, a, a relatively small financial services group in Australia. We've done $3 billion in residential mortgages, but we only have a staff of 15. And um, we recently needed a new commission system. And so um, I had it written and it, it, it sits on, on an Azure server and it's totally unrelated to my business. Like it's totally, you know, we, we access it from the cloud, from home, from work, whatever. And when there's upgrades, they get done for me. So I get, I, having been through the process on a, on a small scale, I understand even on a 15-staff business, the implication. Over the last two years or 18 months and, 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 and COVID and, and coronavirus and the chaos in the world, um, SaaS must have been, for those companies that were ready on the cloud, must have been an amazing productivity boost for them that they could just yeah. switch their staff straight away. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, one of the rules that we set in Peppery is – that we are not utilizing any software that is not SaaS for our own sake. Okay. So uh, our ERP, our financial system, everything is SaaS. If it's not SaaS, I'm not considering it even. And it's exactly what you said, what you just said, you know, uh, for us to move from working in the office to working from home, it's just a username and password. And, uh, and that's it. You know, you don't care where you work from. And, uh, and obviously, it's good for our, for us as a business that this is the way we run our business. So uh, our customer also enjoyed it as well. It did not disturb them that we changed the, the way we work. Okay. And I mean, the other question is, I guess, with SaaS is, doesn't, does it put bigger and bigger pressure on the networks? You know, in my, in my understanding of software, in other words, you know, particularly over COVID, suddenly... You know, you had all these people working from home and um, residential networks, I know in Australia, like uh, internet and, and fiber, were all built to assume that during the daytime hours, the businesses are going to chew up the bandwidth and at nighttime, the homes, you know, streaming and Netflix and whatever are going to chew up the bandwidth. And suddenly you had everybody and their kids working from home everywhere around the world. Did that, does the, does the, performance of those networks which were not built for people working at home actually affect the way you deliver your product in our case not uh, from two reasons first of all a big portion of our business uh, although we are a SaaS company a big portion of our business is to serve salespeople on the road using native application that work online offline with no dependency on the network at all so they can work independently from the network. And once there is a connection, they immediately sync and then they don't care. So in this portion of the business, really 
was not affected at all anyway. Uh, and, uh, and the other portion, our service is not consuming a big bandwidth in that respect. It's, it's more of data and data typically is not, uh, and it's, uh, we are not, uh, we are an operational tool. And typically on an operational tool, the amount of data that you consume is not so high as it is on a BI tool, for example, where you need to bring tons of data and, uh, and analyze it. So as an operational system, I don't think uh, we were affected in that respect in a negative way. Uh, I think where we saw it more is actually on meetings like the one we have right now, you know, that suddenly many people are using videos together with uh, sound systems that consume more than data transfer. And then uh, suddenly we saw problems uh, with own network of employees that needed to upgrade. Uh, at least in the countries that we have employees, uh, it was not an issue. It was just a matter of money. <laughs> you upgrade your network and it works. Uh, I'm sure there are places where it doesn't work even if they're willing to pay, but at least on our side, we didn't experience it. Okay. I mean, that you raised an interesting thing there and, and that one of the, the companies I was talking to was an insurance company in America. And they had a, unlike a lot of companies that use their call centers in Southeast Asia, they actually had their call center centered in America. And the problem they faced was that a lot of the call center staff are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And then they sent 500 people to work from home who didn't have the, the basic internet connectivity of a decent speed to be able to run a call center from home because it's audio and it's, you know, it's, it's chewing up bandwidth. And so it was amazing how, you know, the company actually made a decision not to upgrade their staff's internet. Now that's politically, you can argue that both ways, but they said, well, you have to have a car to come to work. So, you know, this is like a car. You need you need internet at home. You have to upgrade it yourself like you'd be paying for a car. I don't know if that was right or wrong. But my question goes deeper is, is with SaaS, how how big are your customers? Now, I know you've got, you're a global company and you've got, com com you know, over 200 customers in Australia. At what point does software as a service make sense? I mean, I did it for one very small aspect of my business, but at what point um, does it make sense for a business? You know, at what sort of size or cost base? And you know, I'm not asking you to put a number around it, but you know, at what point does SaaS make sense? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I know it's, it's a loaded question. I, I, yeah, yeah, but uh, if I'll try to generalize it, although it's very difficult, and obviously whatever I will answer now, I'm sure there are examples that will not fit into it, but I will still try to generalize it. So my experience, and it's funny that you brought it up because I remember myself at the beginning, and I have a very good friend, I will not say his name, who is a very senior uh, guy in the investment, uh, uh, in, the invest in investment, investing in companies like us, and he's a very good friend of mine. And at the beginning, I was uh, beating the figures in terms of efficiency uh, on everything, on, on everything, on all the KPIs. And I told him, I don't understand why people need so much money. And he told me, wait, wait, you'll see. 
you are at the beginning, you, you have anomalies uh, that will not uh, stay there forever. And I thought I will move into uh, profitability uh, in around, and I'll share with you, around five to six million dollars, I'll start to be profitable. And he told me, no way in the world. It will not happen before $10 million sales. And he was right. <laughs> okay. Uh, and this is answering your question. So if you, I hope, <laughs> so yeah. if you take on yeah. average, I would say, once you reach $10 million, this is the point where you can reach profitability or let's say break even. However, most businesses in our space are not looking for profitability. They're looking for growth. And therefore, typically, a successful company will not be profitable even when it's 20, 30, and 50 million dollars. And there is uh, obviously a balance you need to reach between growth. Most companies need to reach a balance between growth and profitability. Uh, some companies are lucky and can get both. Well, I mean, your business is, is there to scale, is to help people scale because the scaling becomes unlimited. Um, and you know, I, and I mentioned the software that I had written, well, written, but that I use as a as a as a hosted platform. But thinking about it, even our accounting system is cloud based now. You know, it's no longer it it is just software as a service. You know, and when I started analyzing my business and seeing how much stuff we actually use, that you know, I think we don't own anything. Even our Microsoft licenses are are monthly licenses. Yeah, I think I think the process was very is so clear and obvious. It started from uh, small small companies, small systems that were considered uh, less strategic to the business uh, because people were reluctant at the beginning to 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 uh, even to take their information outside of their company. So the server with the information will not be inside their company. I remember at the beginning of Peppery, we were running into companies, mid-sized companies that were asking us, telling us, if it's if it's SaaS, we will not work with you. Will you provide a, an option for a non-SaaS solution? And we always say, no, we are not willing to. Uh, along the years, it changed. And what you're seeing, it started with small companies adopting it. Nowadays, you see governments, you see huge companies adopting it uh, and not hesitant at all. What I can tell you is from those years that I'm uh, doing it, I think the security level and typically the main concern was security. And from a security level, typically a SaaS company, the security level of a SaaS company will be 10 times better than a security level of a mid-sized company that has, I don't know, 10 IT people in the best case scenario, uh, uh, dealing with so many other things other than just the security. And uh, so it, it's a process. And, and I think it, it reached a high level of maturity nowadays, in my opinion. Well, that's interesting what you say, because, you know, everyone talks about SaaS solutions as these big end of town solutions. And I didn't actually realize that its origins were actually the small companies who could have who, who couldn't afford the capital but could afford the monthly running costs so going back to the financial model i mean exactly is peppery providing an 
almost out of the box solution for clients now after 11 years? Yeah, it depends what you call out of the box. If you refer to out of the box that you buy and immediately it works for you, then the answer is no. If okay. you refer to out of the box that there's no need to customize with coding the solution, then the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, Peppery uh, does not work by itself. Uh, we are always uh, working on top of the ERP system. You know, yeah. and and so we need to integrate. Uh, we need to adapt the business processes within Peppery to the business processes that they have, the pricing information, a lot of things that needs to align. And uh, this is a process. It's not a simple process. Okay. However, it does not require any coding. So it's I mean, it, it, out of the box in yeah, that respect. That's what I meant. It's not a coded solution. It's a, it's a configured solution. Exactly. Exactly. So, so with businesses, you know, going and, and, and putting everything into services, you know, what do you see as the future? I mean, you know, we, all I hear is AWS and other people investing more and more money in storage. And, you know, there's Next DC in Australia, which is listed here, which is a, 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 uh, effectively a storage, you know, storage and, and, and service company. You know, where does that all go? Because, the, you know, how big does this get is the question. You know, it's uh, the bigger get bigger all the time. Uh, and uh, in that respect, I think what we will see is those uh, giants uh, like Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, uh, that are providing uh, uh hosting together with uh, application solutions on top of those hosting, what they are doing is they started by giving a simple infrastructure and then gradually they gave you more and more security uh, features out of the box so you don't need to take care of your own security, although there's always a level of security that you need to add to that. And then uh, they started to provide scalability uh, solutions uh, and with microservices uh, that are getting more and more popular and with an architecture that everyone are adapting of open architecture with microservices, I don't think it will stop. I think we'll see those giants uh, penetrating to more and more business uh, scenarios, business solutions and providing microservices for those solutions. And, uh, and eventually, uh, we'll see uh, those giants getting bigger, <laughs> bigger okay. and bigger. So th this is changing tech a bit, but, you know, obviously as you scale and you need more people and, and whatever, um, a, a very good friend of mine here in Australia runs a, a coding training business, so doing a number of the, the major coding platforms. But he was saying to me that the actual um, business of training software people, like not, I'm not talking about, you know, graduate software engineers. I'm talking about people doing a six or 12 month coding or a year's coding program, whatever it is. He was saying that that's almost becoming redundant, his training business, because a lot of the big, Providers, the Amazons and the Microsofts are giving away their training for free. 
you know um you know and and so it's going to become an interesting environment where people are being trained by the giants in their own in their own software um you know and he was saying he doesn't see his business for a couple of years it'll be good but it it will eventually get to a point where it's been given away for free i mean how 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 is it possible to find and retain staff right now you know in that in that environment i mean there's a massive obviously a growth curve for all these people so that it's two parts of the question one is what is the future of training your new staff or do they even need to be trained and and how easy is it to find people i was always a great believer of training on the job okay. uh, i generally speaking uh also as a student i i was not a, i was an horrible student i hardly uh, i'll give you a secret uh, in the in tel aviv university where i graduated in engineering my picture is not there on the with all my friend the reason for that i already opened a business in the us back then i was in uh, california when they took the picture and uh I, I was not coming to school. So I, I believe in, in training on the job. I believe people need to get the basic and then they start to, the, the best way to learn is to run into trouble. Uh, I mean, to yeah. learn from real, real things that they need to solve and not from sitting at home and learning theoretically. I know there is a level that you need to learn, but in my opinion, it should be very, very basic. And then do whatever you feel that is the right thing to do for you, and uh, and you'll get there. Um, on this, I hope I answered the first yes. one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the second one, uh, and and by the way, in that respect, I think still on the first one, it's extremely important when you bring a new employee. To see that you have the skill, the, the basic skill, I don't care whether he knows specifically what we are doing, but I do care that he has the, that he has the capacity to learn fast uh, and then to put him with the right people to teach him on the job. And if he's good, he will be excellent after a while. Okay. Uh, then... Uh, 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 what was the second recruiting? You know, how, how easy is it in oh, this recruiting. world to recruit people at the moment or the, recruit the right people? I'm always surprised. People are telling me it's very, very tough. Uh, but I'm always surprised that uh, uh, and there is there is huge competition in iTech for people. Uh, but I think uh, eventually it's. People are the same. They're not changing in terms of what they're looking for. And what people are looking for, especially in today's world with the new generation, is they want to feel they, they do something important. They want to feel that they can impact. Uh, if you give them that feeling, you can recruit them. Uh, and if you give them uh, the feeling that they will get... The, They'll, they'll get sort of inspiration for what they are doing and, and enjoy doing it. They will stay as well. Uh, Peppery enjoys uh, an amazing level of uh, retention in terms of employees. Uh, uh, average uh, developer here is uh, six, seven years. Uh, so uh, easily. And, uh, and, and I think it all has to do with the atmosphere 
And I think the new generation is even more than my generation. Uh, although people think the opposite, they're jumping. And no, I don't think so. I think they are, if you give them the right thing, they, they will stick to it. They, they are just looking for, uh, for something that they can feel that it's there and that they can develop it and, and, and continue to grow. They do look for growth all the time, uh, not necessarily just from financial perspective. Personal growth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so when I do a lot of culture consulting work with clients, I talk about companies need to have a purpose and, and it doesn't have to be high and mighty, you know, we support the homeless or something like that. But it has to be something that's bigger than the company that everybody feels that they're part of. As you said, they want to know what they're a part of. Um, and, you know, and I think that if you've created an environment where, where, where people in a high-tech space are six or seven years in the job, then you've created an amazing culture because, you know, Gallup polled in America a lot in, before the pandemic, so you've got to take that out of the equation, was saying that 46% of employees were disengaged with the business. That's almost half the workforce being disengaged. Um, yeah. And, 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 and retention and disengagement obviously don't relate to each other. So um, that's an amazing thing. Look, I'd like to, I'm going to finish off with, you know, if people want to find out more about Peppery and want to find out about what the SaaS services are that you offer on this global level, because at the end of the day, podcasts are a global medium today as well. Um, how do they get hold of you or your team? And I will put the same information in the show notes as well. But what's the best way of connecting with you or your team? Like any other company nowadays, uh, contact us over our website, peppery.com. Uh, there are many forms there that you can uh, contact us through, whether it's, it's a job opportunity or whether it's a, it's a potential customer. Uh, there is a free demos and other things uh, or any question you have on peppery.com we have uh, also full documentation of the product open including open apis so even technical developers can dig into our product and use it for free i mean to a certain extent okay well i mean i think you've built an amazing business i love I love innovation. I love growth. It's what drives me. Um, it's, you know, philosophically, my book says dive in. That's the name of my book that I published. And it says dive in because um, you just dive into business and adjust your course while you're moving. You don't actually set a plan and stay on that for 20 years. You just move around because you need to be flexible. And that's what the, that's philosophically where I sit. So thank you, Ofer Yuvexel from Peppery to, for being my guest today on the Business Excellence Podcast. Thank you for taking the time in this crazy world of ours to, to share some ideas about software as a service and what your business offers. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for hosting me. It was a pleasure. And this is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to visit our website, excellencepodcast.com, for a number of free downloadable resources on your business and how your business can become more excellent.